problems. All right, let's get into it this morning. Uh, thank you for your patience. We appreciate that. Uh, we're in Lent. We're journeying towards uh, the resurrection life of Easter Sunday, fullness of life beyond death, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but you've got to go on a journey to get there. Resurrection life can only come on the other side of death. That's the bad news about the good news, is that there's a laying down, there's a letting go that, that comes before the, the taking up. So we're looking at, uh, last week we looked at sin. We're going to look at suffering this morning. Uh, and then we're going to... Um, Going to look at creativity and faith after that. Uh, This morning, uh, some of you will have a Bible, maybe two of you, but most of you will have your devices. I'd love it if you could grab out your device and open your Bible on your device if you have a Bible. Just go to that Old Testament creation poem that we love so much. Uh, If you could open that up, because I'm going to want, I'm going to get you to read along with me. So um, if you've got your phone, if you've got a Bible app, Shut down your Facebook and just turn to that Old Testament creation poem. Um, we're looking at suffering. When you look at suffering, you can, you can only say so much. There's 2,000 years worth of Christian history that's kind of explored this really big uh, issue, and I'm not going to attempt to synthesize that down into the next kind of 35 minutes. So um, that means there's a lot of things that will end up being unsaid, while there are things that are being said. But I hope it's a talk that starts talks and that uh, what I have to share will be a blessing to you in some way this morning. So you had that wonderful creation poem in the Old Testament that we love so much. We're going to read from that this morning. So that's Job chapter 38 and running through to uh, chapter 41. If you, You're all there? Did some of you go to Genesis? Oh, There's lots of creation poems in the Old Testament, not just Genesis. We're in Job this morning. Job chapter 38. Uh, It's a good one. Job's likely the oldest uh, book of the Bible, which makes this account of creation likely the oldest account of creation. And it's uh, we're going to talk. We're going to look at God responding to Job out of the uh, whirlwind. Uh, Given that you're probably not as familiar with Job as what you are with Genesis, that's a you know I'm guessing, but I'm I'm guessing you're not as familiar with Job as what you are with Genesis. I'm going to read quite a bit this morning, more than I would normally do, but it's um it's quite a fantastic piece of writing. So uh, follow along with me. I'm going I'm to read Job 38, then I'm going to jump down a, a little bit and we'll end up in Job 41. Uh, this version, the one here. I'm in the, uh, what am I in? I'm in the, I'm in the old New King James this morning, I think. Um, all right. The Lord reveals his omnipotence to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no further, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes, uh, it takes on form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. 
From the wicked, their light is withheld, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea, or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? That you may take it to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home. Do you know it because you were born then or because the number of your days is great? Have you entered the treasury of snow? This is awesome. Have you entered the treasury of snow? Or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? By what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one and a wilderness in which there is no man to satisfy the desolate wastes and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass? Has the rain a father or, has, uh, or, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the cluster of Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Those are all uh, constellations of stars. Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs, another constellation? Do you know the audiences of the heavens? Can you set the domain over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the mind, or who has given understanding to the heart? Or who can number the clouds by wisdom, or who can pour out the battles of heaven when the dust hardens and clumps and the clods cling together? From 39, do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down, they bring forth their young, they deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy, they grow strong with grain. They depart and do not return to them. Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosened the bonds of the donkey? Whose home I have made the wilderness and the barren land its dwelling? He scorns the tomlet of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. And then the writer talks about uh, the wild ox, the ostrich, the, the horse, the hawk. Can you tame the hawk and all these different things? Uh, do they come at your beck and call? Can you really tame them? Do you give them strength? Do they exist by your wisdom? In Job 39, God speaks about the behemoth. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only its maker can approach it with a sword. There's this, this picture of this thing called behemoth, which we'll come back to. And then last passage we'll read is from 41. God's power in Levi Leviathan. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Uh, will you play with him as a, with a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your com uh, companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. You try and fight Leviathan. How did that go for you? Never do that again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. 
Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. And then the passage goes on and on and explains more of Leviathan and the wonder and the might and the strength of Leviathan. So this creation account that we have in the book of Job, it, it, it speaks of creation being, uh, this, it extols the virtue of creation as, as, as wonderful, as magnificent, uh, as mysterious, as beautiful, but as strong, as wild, as something that is untamable, that, that's something that is far beyond the ability of humans to control and manipulate and order and, and set it all up how we would like it to be. It's a picture of creation as being wild and free. Uh, creation as an adventurous creation, but also a dangerous creation. A world that's totally free to actually be a world. A world that's totally free to actually be a world and all of the danger that is inherent to that. There's lots of implications from that. A world that's actually free to be a world. All beyond us to manage and contain and, argue, uh, and organize. The foundations of the earth, the boundaries of the sea, the dwelling of light, the path of the thunderbolt. Can you organize those things? Mountain goats and wild donkeys. And then we get to the behemoth and the Leviathan. They're the two really, really bad, big, bad wolves at the end there. Behemoth and Leviathan. What, what's behemoth and Leviathan? Uh, not dinosaurs. Um, not a hippopotamus and a crocodile, or maybe taken from an understanding of a hippopotamus or, or, or a crocodile. In, in the ancient Near East, the hippopotamus was pretty much the wildest of the land beasts, and a crocodile was pretty much the wildest of the, the sea beasts. So maybe something of that. But, but in essence, there's something far more mysterious. They're, they're part of vision of the fierce the most fierce apex predators that a human can imagine. And when you unpack, oh, we didn't get onto it, but the Leviathan breathing fire and things like that, you get this kind of picture of what we'd say is a dragon. You get this picture of this, the, the, the biggest monster that humanity can kind of conjure up and imagine. This, this, it's this picture, this metaphor for an apex predator. Uh, but it's also a, a, a picture and a metaphor for, that depicts kind of chaos, that depicts, depicts the... The, the wildness of everything, and you, you're really going to be able to speak into the In the beginning, in Genesis, it was chaos, and God spoke and ordered. Are we the ones that can speak into the chaos and, and order these things? And so the Leviathan, the behemoth, the kind of picture of these apex predators is as vicious as what we can imagine. Well, we can't kind of tame there. And then the chaotic realities of the world that we live in, well, we can't tame that and order that either. Can you tame the chaos, the curveballs? Can you tame the curveballs? Have you been able to order your life in such a way as to never have any curveballs? The darkness beyond the fire, the unexpected. There's an uncontrollable uh, reality to life. And no matter how hard we try, we don't seem to be able to order it all up how we would like it to be. Can you order your life in such a way that it's now safe, predictable, efficient, controllable, and replicable year after year, exactly how you like it to be. Can you order your life to be like that? I think that we, we try to do that, but at the end of the day, we can't, we can't order this. And the headlines of the last three or four months say, oh, yeah, there's some stuff that happens in our world that we couldn't order and, and, and make happen. I think the modern paraphrase would be, uh, you know, can you make your life safe, predictable, efficient, controllable, replicable? I think the modern pra uh, paraphrase would be, can you make everything safe, predictable, and awesome, like Emmett? makes everything in the Lego movie or imagines Lego movie to be, and we've got that for you this morning. 
There you go. You'll have to watch the rest of the movie at some stage because uh, it's, a, it's a profound commentary on the nature of life. And the, if we just follow the instructions of everyone, what, what they, the clip in there is, blow up everything weird. Let's follow the instructions. Make it right. And uh, it's a movie. It's about uh, mixing. The, they mix the genres of uh, Lego together. And uh, the, the dad, it turns out, I can't give too much away, but they mix the genres of the Lego together. It's like, no, you've got to follow the instructions. You do it all right, and everything will be predictable, and everything will be routine, and everything will be ordered, and everything will be exactly what you think it will be. But life's not like that. Life's not like that at all. It's a, it's a, it's a wild world where, where it's an adventure from the womb, from the very beginning, and from the known into the unknown. Uh, and we have to acknowledge that every adventure ultimately involves suffering of some sort or another. A wild and free world of wonder and joy and delight and beauty and goodness and flourishing. A wild and free world of heartache and disappointment of fears and tears of sadness and suffering, and at times of great acts of violence as well, great acts of evil, great acts of love and kindness and bravery, but also we see in life and experience in life death and destruction as well. None of which can be kind of trivialized up and, and boxed into a nice little neat pattern of how we could uh, make sense of it and make it all easy breezy, but I am about to box it up on a big screen in a moment. But uh, it, 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 you can only do that conceptually. It looks nice and tidy on a screen, but when you're actually living life in the trenches of Monday to Friday and you're experiencing suffering or heartache or pain or whatever it might be, it's not easy. It's not tidy. It's not, it's not straightforward. Nevertheless, we're in Lent. And uh, part of Lent is the acknowledgement of suffering, as well as recognizing that Christ is present to us in our sufferings. That even as Christ walked through the wilderness, even as Christ suffered, he, suffered, he comes alongside and is present to us in our suffering as well. So I just want to share a couple of thoughts that might be helpful uh, up on the screen. We pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive our sins. And then we also say, Father, forgive our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Uh, sometimes we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. We could say, God, forgive us for the ways in which we trample over other people in life. And help us to forgive those that at in times trample over us in life as well. Sin is our fallen shortness. We talked about this last week. We talked about it as our failure to represent what God is like, our failure to bring faithful worship to God, and we end up worshiping other things in life. And a part of our suffering is a result of this fallenness. You, Bob talks about you sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. And so we can see that some suffering is dehumanizing. Some suffering makes us less than what God's called us to be. Some suffering crushes us and destroys us and pushes us down. And some of that is a result of our own brokenness. The fact that we sin, that we fall short, that we fail to represent what God's like. Uh, one example of that, maybe we could talk about pride. Because of pride, we maybe don't get the help that we need in life from God, from others, and it stifles us in growing to be the person that God's called us to be. It stifles us. We're, we're too prideful to reach out and get the help, get the care, get the insight, get the knowledge, get the people around us that we need around us. And it's this pride that's this, this I'll, I'll look after my own life. I'll be in control of my own life. I won't, I won't reach out. 
but it ends up malforming us. We end up, if it ends up, um, rather than us growing to be that which we're called to be, it, it seeps in there and we, we fall apart. We're not the, that which we're created to be. And yet, to reflect God is to be humble, is to humble oneself. Christ humbled himself even unto death on a cross and to seek that kind of help. But enough people in a fallen world uh, caught up in pride, we start to worship the ideas of being a self-made man or a self-made woman. And this idea of individuality becomes a principality and power. And there's this, you know, in our Kiwi culture, it can be a big thing to reach out for help. So pride gets in the way. We fail to reflect what God's like. And we can see that we suffer as a result of that. Sometimes we're uh, lazy. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't be bothered with the annual fire drill, the annual fire drill that interrupts the whole surface, surface, the whole service. So we know how to get out of the building. I'll skip the fire drill kind of thing. But to love neighbor is to care for neighbor and to take the time to do this and not to run a shortcut. Uh, health and safety, if you don't know where it started, it started in the Old Testament with this command for the Israelites with their flat-roofed houses to build a little fence around the top in case they're up there because they'd hang out there for dinner or in the evening and so people didn't fall off and get hurt. So health and safety was God's idea, and we're just kind of following along. <laughs> but we all know stories about where health and safety wasn't followed. Somebody took a shortcut. Somebody didn't check the fire doors. The fire doors were locked. There's headlines of fires throughout the last 10, 15 years where why couldn't everyone get out of the nightclub? Well, the doors were locked or barred or there was gear stored in front of it. It's like, ah, that's actually ultimately a lack of love for neighbor and it can cause suffering and you can see that that's not ideal. Um, So because we're, we're malformed, we fail to reflect what Christ is like. Rather than reflect Christ to others, we betray Christ in how we treat others. Things we say, the things we do, the things we don't do. Sometimes they're unkind, sometimes they're cruel, sometimes they're murderous. And it brings suffering into the world. We're perpetrators of sin at times. At times, though, as well, we're the victims of sin. Where the misrepresentation of God in others brings suffering into our lives. Where our neighbor or a stranger or a person failed to reflect what God was like to us instead reflected something harmful or damaging or destructive into our lives. And we end up being the victims of that suffering. And then on top of that, it all kind of weaves into the world that we live in and kind of becomes systematic in the sense that we live in this kind of broken system that mistreats people and causes suffering and at times causes great beauty and wonder and delight and then other times causes suffering and demise and downfall. It's very complicated. You can't just kind of exit yourself out of there. There's systemic complexities woven into this neat and tidy graphic that I have on the screen to talk about something that's not neat and tidy in the world that we live in at all. Having said that, though, what we can't do is draw a line between sin and suffering. We shouldn't look to draw a line between sin and suffering, between the idea of cause and effect, as if, we can, as if we can kind of sort these things out. There's an infamous pastor in New Zealand who's waxing lyrical about why the cyclones are happening in Gisborne and the Hawke's Bay and things like that. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. Uh, it's the opposite of what Jesus teaches when he says that, um, you know, was that person born blind because of their sin or their parents' sin? He's like, no, don't go there. Did that tower fall down on those people because of their sin? No, they were no more unrighteous or more righteous than anyone else. Kind of stuff just happens in life. And they don't, we get into trouble when we start to try to draw a line between, you know, something went wrong with 
your boss and all of this is happening. Well, it's because, you know, um, I yelled at the kids the other night and I shouldn't, I misrepresented God over there and that sin is, it's like, don't, it's not, that's not a game. You, you can maybe see how pride in your life and draw a line to how that down the line can have some negative consequences. But we shouldn't be trying to unpack every form of suffering we ever kind of come across and try and find some sin that's the root cause of that. That's gonna, it's not healthy, appropriate, or a wise thing to do. Don't do that. Uh, nor can we draw lines between the fact that we're all sinners and that at the same time we're victims of sin as well, victims of sinners as well. Um, what makes you a victim is in your own sin. It's that somebody sinned against you. We shouldn't be trying to like blame the victims in those instances and think don't go down that path either. That's an unhealthy kind of correlation to 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 lead the cause and effect kind of thing. It's too mysterious to try and untangle that, and we should be very careful there. The world's a wild world, and things happen. A fallen world, and things happen. Forms of suffering that are mild. I've got a little kind of graph there. Forms of suffering that are mild, and forms of suffering that are horrific happens in life, dehumanizing and that they malform us and destroy life and God's good gift of life. At the same time, though, there's forms of suffering that have the potential to be very humanizing as well, that help us to grow and develop to become the image bearers that were called us to be, to help us to become better humans and, and better versions of ourselves and, and more like Christ. Uh, if we allow them to. Suffering that pushes us beyond our limits and enlarges us as a person. Most literally, you could say weight training. Weights is a form of suffering that is good for us. Training for a 100-mile run. One of our friends ran 100 miles the other day because I don't know why. I don't know why, actually, but <laughs> she loves that sort of stuff. She, it's this training and push that enlarges her and develops her uh, as a person. Uh, writing, reading, studying. These are, these, are, these are things that sometimes we suffer through, but they actually enlarge us. They're actually good for us. They actually help us to grow. Studying for an exam, uh, the dedication and failures and frustrations of mastering an art or mastering a trade or mastering a profession. There's a lot of suffering that goes along that journey to get there, but it's ultimately suffering that shapes us to be the people that we're called to be. The sleepless nights with newborns, oh, the suffering. It, but it actually shapes you as a human to be a better human being. Now, you have the moments where it's certainly making you a worse human being, but by and large, it's actually causing you to grow up and to become something more than what you were. Um, some friends have had their oldest kids move out of home. The suffering of having a growing teenager move on to university. This is the suffering of the finite, and it's painful and it's heartbreaking. I remember I was smart, so I didn't go to uni like that. Uh, I stayed at home until I was 21, and then I got married. So I, I missed out on flatting. And people, oh, you missed out on the best years. And I'm like, tell, you, tell me about them. And they tell me about them. And I was like, yeah, I didn't miss out on anything. Um, but I remember we had the wedding and all of that, and it was all wonderful. And then Lisa and I drove off into the sunset kind of thing. And then I hear a couple of weeks that the next day, my mum's just sitting on my bed at home, just ah, crying kind of thing. It's like, what's that? Well, that's, that's the suffering of being finite. It's the suffering of growing, though, and seeing people grow up. Is, is that an evil suffering? No, that's, a, that's the suffering of being, fi uh, being finite. And if we allow it to, it, it, it shapes us and forms us and it enlarges us, stretches us in life. Um, we don't grow out of the easy breezy. There was a, you remember the Australian maths competitions that they had at school or something? 
I did that at Tottenham Boys College, and I sat in the back row with a friend, and we collaborated. Um, <laughs> we collaborated and for the first... We weren't cheating in the sense of um, no one was stealing answers from each other. We just managed to work on the problems together for the first half. And then I just got uninterested, and I went eeny, meeny, miny, mo for the, the last of the questions. Well, I don't think I got any wrong. Uh, I might have got one wrong, I'm not sure, but I got in the, the highest percentage of what you can get. I won a $50 bank account from Westpac, and uh, I got my photo taken pointing to a really complicated maths formula on, this, on, the, on the wall with a ruler with the maths teacher and on the front page of the Boys College newsletter that got sent out. It's like, mathematician Joseph McCauley. I'm like, yeah, $50 voucher. I got to let you know, I didn't learn anything from that. I didn't, that didn't shape me to be anything. It may, I, I realized, man, school's easy. You can wing it. Like, you don't even have to worry about it. It turns out that's not the case. Like, you can't wing all the Australian mass competitions and win bank accounts. But I did on that. You, we don't learn out of the stuff that is easy. We learn out of the struggle and the pain most of the time. There's suffering that pushes us beyond our limits and enlarges us as a person, but then there's suffering that pushes us beyond our limits and has a tendency to break us as well. But that is humanizing. That helps us to realize that we're finite, that there's limitations, that we need to rein it in, that there's non-transgressible boundaries that we shouldn't seek to go beyond. If you push that hard that way, my friend is in a car and they're going to clip and hit a caravan, so he puts his arm out to stop the car hitting the caravan. It didn't work. It was the arm that broke and then the caravan afterwards. There's non-transgressible boundaries. And so we learn in our suffering that, hey, you might have just taken on too much. It's not the devil. It's not sin. You're not being sinned against. It's like you just signed up for too much and you just don't have the capacity to do that. We We suffer, but we learn from that. And it becomes humanizing in that it grows us to be healthier versions of ourselves. Suffering of our finite existence teaches us wisdom, resilience, reliance, compassion, and a deep respect for reality. The the, the suffering of being finite teaches us wisdom, resilience, reliance, compassion, compassion for others, and a deep respect for reality humanizes us. Then as well, we have godly suffering. First Peter 4 verse 19, he said, don't suffer from like being a murderer and stuff like that. That's not good. He says, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Up on the next slide, I think. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. There's a suffering that comes in the fallen world that we live in through following the way of Jesus. There's a suffering inherent to that. We pray for the babies when we dedicate them at St. Luke's. We pray that they would come to know the joy and the suffering of caring for everyone that they meet. I've been praying that over the... You know, at the baby dedications, the pastor guy prays suffering over the kids. We pray that they would come to know the joy and the suffering of caring for everyone that they meet. There's a certain suffering that comes from walking and following the way of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Do not repay evil with evil. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Walk an extra mile. 
Don't cling tightly to your life. Be willing to lose it. Take up your cross and follow me. All of that is both a joy and a suffering. Like weight training, like training for a marathon, like studying for an exam. I don't know if you've, if you've done that for an extended period. You realize that it's both a joy and a suffering. There's days when you just can't wait to get to the gym and you're really pumped about it and you're looking forward to it. And you're going to do that. And then the next day, like, I don't want to go to the gym. I hate the gym. I, can't, I don't want to suffer through that. But you go anywhere. You, you go anywhere. You persevere anywhere. It's the joy and the suffering of this long obedience in the same direction. There's days when you just can't wait to love, love your neighbor like yourself and just lay down your life and do whatever you can to help your neighbor. And then there's days when they walk past and you, you pull the curtains and you duck down and you hide and you, nobody make any noise. Don't let them know we're here. Don't let them know. Don't answer the door, kids. Oh, Dad's just in here. Or the worst one is, Dad said to say that he's not here. It's, like, <laughs> it's the joy and the suffering. The joy and the suffering. Because it's not always suffering, but it's, it's not always joyful to turn the other cheek and lay down your... It's not always lovely to not let your anger go down. I'd rather be angry and just sleep on the couch. The joy and the suffering. Some days you feel like you're going to smash it. And then other days you feel like, I think I'm going to be smashed by this. And yet it is, that struggle is humanizing. That struggle actually makes us the people that we're called to be. Molds you and shapes you into the likeness of the true human that is Christ. Now, the biblical words are pashko and uh, patimia. Suffer, endure unpleasant experience, misfortune, or passion. It's also translated as passion. What's the passion of the Christ? What's the passion of Jesus? The passion is the suffering of Christ, the suffering of Jesus. When we talk about the, the movie The Passion, you could rename it The Suffering. It's the suffering of Christ. It refers to what he endured on the cross. His passion brought suffering true of us as well. Much of the suffering that we go through in life is according to the passions that we have. This is our year. We've already got one hand on the trophy for the Warriors. But uh, as, as a passionate Warriors uh, supporter, it's brought a lot of suffering over the years. There's a lot of mental, you know, and this is a nice example of suffering. But it's our passion that brings our suffering. And what was Christ's passion? It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Oh, the humiliation and the pain and the agony of the cross for the joy. His passion was to do the will of the Father, to lay down his life that all would be reconciled to God, the passion, the suffering. Mostly it's our passions that take. I'm not passionate enough to suffer the training required to run 100 miles. I'm not passionate about that. I'm anti that. I don't, that's not in me to do that. I don't have the, but we'll each give up. We'll each suffer different things for different things. The things that we're passionate about, we'll, we'll fork out money and we'll fork out time, we'll fork out energy and we'll get lessons and we'll struggle away at it until we can be a little bit better at it. The passions. Our misguided passions bring suffering as well. The misguided passions of others that are acted upon, they bring suffering as well. When people act on greed or act on violence or selfishness or whatever, when we act on those things. So if we can get the right passions, we suffer for those passions and they bring life. If we have the wrong passions, we suffer for pursuing those passions. Healthy passions, running, learning, caring, giving. 
unhealthy passions, sloth, greed, selfishness, will to power. We'll suffer for the healthy passions, we'll suffer for the unhealthy passions. But the type of suffering will be quite different, humanizing or dehumanizing. In our experience of suffering, mild at times, severe at others, perhaps a grit like this might help us to work out how to respond accordingly. Not every form of suffering is a result of sin. Not every form of suffering is a result of sin and errors that we make. So don't beat yourself up so much. Don't woe is me and head down to the back of the garden to eat worms. I don't know where that saying come from. I just do know as a child, our parents would say, woe is you down to the garden to eat worms. I was like, I'm not going to. Your suffering is not necessarily a result of sin. Don't beat yourself up about that. At the same time, though, sometimes it is. Be quick to reconcile. Be quick to ask forgiveness. Today is the day of salvation. Be quick to set things wrong, to set things right, to repent, to return, to turn to a different way of being. Not every form of suffering is a result of someone else's sins. You can't blame all suffering on that person or that event or that occasion or that thing that happened. Not, not every suffering is a result of that. But sometimes it is the result of that thing and that person and that event. And it's the hardest at times kind of suffering to walk through. And you shouldn't blame yourself for that. Phone a friend. Get the support of a brother or sister. See a counselor, a psychologist. Get prayer. Be attentive to the voice of God. Follow the spiritual disciplines as you seek to kind of walk through that. Not every suffering is because you're a finite person living in a wild world. We need to take ownership of the reality that we dethrone God at times and we pursue our own way and causes suffering. But at times, some of the suffering in life is because we live in a wild world and things happen. It's a world that's truly free to, to be a world. It's complicated. So we need to respect boundaries when we are in that finite place. And play, maybe some suffering is because you haven't respected those finite boundaries. You can't do everything. You can't solve everything. You can't be all things to all people. I know the knot that I've tangled myself up in in times, trying to be all things to all people. I can't, can't do that. And it brings a dehumanizing suffering rather than a... Uh, sorry, it has the potential to be a humanizing suffering if you can learn from it and grow. Not every form of suffering is you following Jesus faithfully, experiencing godly suffering. I read the other day a tragic story of a pastor in Africa who fasted, tried to fast for 40 days, no food or water for 40 days, and then passed away after... 21 or 22 days. Leaves behind a wife and kids and things. It's, just, it's not, not godly suffering. That's not, you didn't, weren't called to do that. Don't do that. That's silly. That's not helpful. Don't, don't see every suffering you're going through as, oh, this must be the will of God. I'll just endure it. It could be that you've signed up for too much. <laughs> Stop. Don't do that. Sometimes, though, it could be that it is because you're walking the way of Jesus. And that's not easy, and you're doing the thing that you feel called to, and you're doing the thing that you feel like you're obedient to, and it's, it's difficult, and it's challenging. Keep walking in faith. Stay strong. Stay the course. Things that were meant for evil, God can bring good out of them. One of the great mysteries, the encouraging mysteries, is some of the suffering over here that we experience in life. Because we live in a grace-filled world, God can actually bring, bring good and life and growth 
out of that suffering as well. Which isn't to say that it's orchestrated by God or it's events that were in God's plan for our life. It's, it's the nature of what happens in a wild world. And yet God can work all things together for the good of them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. It's one of the great mysteries is that some of that stuff can be the catalyst to the most growth that you have in life. Would you sign up for that? No, you'd never sign up for it. Having come through the other side of it and grown and changed and enlarged as a person, would you, would you choose to not have that? Oh, oh, now that I'm through it and I've grown from it, I, don't, I would definitely not want to do it again, but in the grace of God that somehow the Spirit can bring all things together for good. I take comfort in that. Let's stand together. Obviously, much more could be said, but maybe a little grid like that helps us to kind of discern what's happening in our lives and in the moment and to respond accordingly. Sometimes we actually just need to change some things and let go of some things and accept some limits. Other times we need to pray, be repentant. Other times we need to be prayerful and trust God and different things in different moments. But I take great courage from this, Hebrews chapter 4, 15 to 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. We're in Lent. We're in the 40 days of fasting, the joy and the suffering of Lent. I've given up this, and then, oh, this is really annoying. The joy and the suffering, enlarging us to be the people we're called to be. But we do that knowing that we're in step with our great high priest, Christ, who knows what it is to suffer, knows what it is to be tempted, knows what it is to walk in weakness, and comes alongside us and is present to us. So as you go this morning, may you be stirred to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, May you be one who is quick to turn from sin, quick to forgive the sins of others, attentive to the limitations of life, and faithful in your fidelity to Christ. As you go in the season of Lent, know that Christ is present to you in all suffering. You do not walk alone. The grace and love of God is with you. May the Lord keep you, be gracious to you, make his face shine upon you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters. Enjoy your morning. Enjoy tea and coffee. Collect the kids some stage soon.